This episode is brought to you by Thorn, and I have some incredible news for any of you that are in the military, first responder, or medical professions. In an effort to give back, Thorn is now offering you an ongoing 35% off each and every one of your purchases of their incredible nutritional solutions. Now, Thorn is the official supplement of CrossFit, the UFC, the Mayo Clinic, the Human Performance Project, and multiple special operations organizations. I myself have used them for several years, and that is why I brought them on as a sponsor. Some of my favorite products they have are their Multivitamin Elite, their Whey Protein, the Super EPA, and then most recently, Cinequil. As a firefighter, a stuntman, and a martial artist, I've had my share of brain trauma and sleep deprivation, and Cinequil is their latest brain health supplement. Now, to qualify for the 35% off, Go to thorn.com, T-H-O-R-N-E.com. Click on sign in and then create a new account. You will see the opportunity to register as a first responder or member of military. When you click on that, it will take you through verification with GovX. You'll simply choose a profession, provide one piece of documentation, and then you are verified for life. From that point onwards, you will continue to receive 35% off through Thorn. Now, for those of you who don't qualify, there is still the 10% off using the code BTS10, behind the shield 10, for a one-time purchase. Now, to learn more about Thorn, go to episode 323 of the Behind the Shield podcast with Joel Totoro and Wes Barnett. This episode is sponsored by 511, a company that I've used for well over a decade and continue to use to this day. And 5.11 is offering you guys, the audience of the Behind the Shield podcast, a discount on every purchase you make with them. Before we get to that code, I want to highlight a couple of products that, again, I personally use today. One of the most impressive products they just released is their Rush Backpack 2.0. Now, for many of you, whether you're going to the fire station, the police station, whether you're traveling with your family, whether you're taking training courses, we have to fly, we have to drive, we have to take trains. And I have to say, I own multiple backpacks, many of uh, 5.11's different ones, but as far as a day pack, this one was the most impressive. There are so many different compartments. The way it sits on your back is incredibly comfortable. If you are a concealed carry person, there's also a spot for a weapon. So they've thought of multiple, multiple things that a man or woman would have to do on a daily basis. That is in addition to all of the products that I talk about a lot. Their uniforms fit for men or fit for women in the first responder professions. The footwear that they offer, whether it's the Norris sneaker or the Atlas system that is designed for foot health and therefore knees and back and hips and shoulders and neck. As a civilian, I live in a lot of their clothes as well. Their jeans stretch. You can actually squat down in them. We live in Florida here, so I wear a lot of their shorts, which again, very, very lightweight material. You can get it wet and it will dry almost immediately. And then moving to the fitness and tactical space, I used to have just a regular weight vest. Recently, I switched to a 511 vest and actually bought ballistic plates as well. My thinking was simply, if I'm going to have a vest, why not have one that protects me as well? And that TAC vest is trusted by law enforcement all around the country. So I mentioned they were going to offer you a discount code. So if you go to 511tactical.com and enter the code SHIELD15, S-H-I-E-L-D-1-5, You'll get 15% off not just that one purchase, but every time you visit their store. And if you want to learn more about 5.11, their mission, their products, then listen to episode 338 of the Behind the Shield podcast with the CEO and founder 
Francisco Morales. Welcome to the Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week it is my absolute honor to welcome on the show Rudy Reyes. Now, I've been wanting to do this conversation for several years, and Rudy is an incredibly busy man, as you will hear. But this was such a powerful, deep, philosophical conversation that I wanted to push it out immediately to make sure it got to anyone who needed to hear it. So we discuss a host of topics from his early life, his journey into martial arts, serving with the Marines and recon, the jarring transition out, his post-traumatic growth, and so much more. Now, before we get to this incredible conversation, as I say every week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and leave a rating. Every single five-star rating truly does elevate this podcast, making it easier for others to find. And this is a free library for you, planet Earth, of over 600 episodes. So all I ask in return is that you help share these incredible men and women's stories, so I can get them to every single person who needs to hear them. So with that being said, I introduce to you, Rudy Reyes. Enjoy. Rudy, I want to start by saying thank you so, so much for taking the time to come on the show today. I know we've literally gone back and forth probably for years, I believe, on social media, but you are literally all over the globe and so, so busy um, that I'm so glad that we found some time to, to sit down and do this. Thank you so much, James. Thank you so much. And you've been so patient. You're right. I mean, there was, I think the first time I'm like, yeah, brother, when I get back from Finland, uh, I'll let you know. And then next time, well, I mean... I'm in Hong Kong. The next time, hey, my my wife and I are moving to Boise, and and then this last one, I've been in in Jordan quite a bit with SAS and and you know uh, SAS with Channel Four, SAS who dares wins. Now we've been picked up by Fox America, so now I'm shooting for America too, and it's just been continuous. But I'm so glad I've I've been home for a month now, almost a month, and uh, and I've just started getting myself kind of uh acclimated to being home and it was a little bit of a transition jade will tell you the first couple weeks um it was a transition and uh it helps me reflect back when i used to go to combat and go deploy or go to schools hard military schools how i took for granted the gears shifting because i was so committed first last and always to recon no wonder I was married at the time and I had two little brothers too. Um, They, all of them were second. First was recon. So that's what allowed me to shift through the gears. But over time, I started developing, what would you call, what would you say? I just started developing um, calluses when it came to emotional connection and uh, limitations and injuries when it came to uh, um, emotional and uh, spiritual support. I just uh, calloused and and shut that stuff off. I was focused completely on the task at hand that would reinforce 
and solidify my concept of warrior leader. So anything and everything that it reinforced and solidified an archetype. It was in the process of being created because I'd been fighting for so long and competing to fight. If we, if we dismantle this, and you've had some, some stellar scholar warriors on your podcast before, and, and some of them are my dear brothers, and these are stellar uh, examples of human spirit and uh, American passion towards a collective good, warrior healers. Um, if we unpack and we consider that men and soon women, but men from my generations would compete to the level of injury and or death just to sacrifice their innocence and possibly their lives in battle because it is the cement and the mortar that holds together the church of manhood in our lives. And that's the caliber of people, caliber of men that I spent my adulthood with. And, um, so the glory and the, the glory to the collective and the glory to the power and the bravery is there. But with that comes the sacrifice. And uh, it's, it does take years to, to integrate. It takes years, decades. It took me 10 years to integrate. And uh, I really started hitting on all cylinders only about two years ago. All this time I've been in transition till two years ago. I'm starting to hit on all cylinders uh, right now. I feel better than I've ever felt in my life. <laughs> well, that's amazing. And I think it's something that absolutely is paralleled in the first responder professions as well. Our yes, sir. deployments yes, sir. look different because yours is, you know, lumped together and years after years after years. Ours is, you know, you, you go for 24 hours in the fire service and then you come home. Some people live in the city they serve, so they cannot get away from those street corners where they witnessed and, you know, wow. dealt with some of these things. Whereas, you know, wow. yours is, is acute. I've never considered. Yeah. So, so it's such a, an important topic of discussion because wow, how do you transition James. back from combat, but then also yes. how do you transition from purely 12 or 24 hours back to being husband, father, you know, whatever your role you're slipping back into or, or mother and sister? Oh, you know what, James, you're exactly right. Um, my, my Mrs. Jade can definitely relate because, you know, her mother and her father was a policeman. Her mother is still a firefighter. And she's grown up with this kind of schedule and this on. And actually her mom, Cindy, very close to, and she's funny as all get out. But when, uh, when she reminisces about her early days in the fire service, all she talked about and what made her so proud is her being the new kid and getting messed with a little bit, but everybody living together, completely immersed at the firehouse. And then her going out on her first really horrible job. And um, she got some of the flesh of, of, a, of a, a victim who died and like stepped on a, a, a bursting stomach or something like this, something horrible that she had to laugh at to keep from crying 
that she still has to almost keep laugh to keep from crying. It's one of the things that she's told me a few times. And uh, until you expressed it, that in a sense, and it, when you, when you live and have a family and have a civilian life in the middle of your combat life, meaning firefighting, police, policing, um, you know, it, cause that's your combat zone too. It would be very difficult to shift gears and, and, and exchange optics. And, and uh, look how hard it was for me when I would go away across oceans and continents and then come back. And the reality was starkly different. And still I had a hard time. I still brought Iraq and Afghanistan and Northeast Africa. I brought it home with me. I still observe my world in that way. So I can't imagine what you brothers and sisters that fight for our communities back here at home, what you're living with all the time. Well, I'd love to start at the beginning of your timeline because you touched, we had this amazing conversation before I hit record and I wish I'd just freaking hit it right from the beginning, but I'm sure we'll <laughs> circle around to some of those topics again. Um, you know what? I'm going to learn, James, that uh, from now on when I do podcasts, I'll say, hey, brothers, are you, are, are, hey, sister, have you hit record yet? I love it. I love it. Go ahead. <laughs> Um, yeah, the problem is, I mean, I've had this before. I, I love that warm up conversation, but then during yes. that, usually you're like, oh shit, we should have, we should have recorded this. So that was, that was on me. Um, oh, that's all good. but you have a very interesting childhood. And I think that's one thing that's, that's not really acknowledged by a lot of the uniform professions is we talk about mental health as far as what we've seen and what we've done, but very little, um, understanding of, well, what do we bring into this profession? So, well said. so tell me where you were born and then give me a little overview of your family, what, what your parents did sure. and how many siblings. The raw, the raw material that men and women bring to their profession specifically a profession that's uh, steeped in sacrifice and honor, the raw material. Well, um, I, I've done a lot of self-work in the last few years, especially because Jade and I have been together. We met five years ago. We've been together freaking uh, partners in crime and freaking um, uh, us against the world for four years, every day, every night. Like, I mean, We've lived together, aside from me going to work uh, overseas and stuff. So we've been very close. We've got, I've, I've got to reflect on some things about my past and about my life. Um, I was not born a tough, aggressive man. I was not born aggressive and like a bully. Um, when I was very, very small, I love animals. I fantasized about being able to speak to birds and play with animals, like in my daydreaming and, and such. I would imagine the bunny rabbits would come from outside and stay with me. You know, this is around four or five years old. And, um, and um, but because of the conditions that I was raised in, I learned very quick that uh, if you are a soft-hearted or a empathetic, uh, compassionate, humanist kind of being, the only way to survive is that you must learn to fight. Because 
And by the way, I don't want to fight because I, I didn't like hurting things. I didn't like seeing people hurt. I saw my mother beaten in front of me. I saw, I saw my, uh, my, my grandfather uh, pull his knife on my father. My father uh, draw down his 357. My grandfather beat me almost to death. I was actually a bastard child. And I, unbeknownst to myself, I didn't know why everybody in my family hated me. And they called me Huerito, which means white boy. And, um, and I was beaten and uh, ostracized and, and ashamed all the time. And I didn't know why. I was too small to understand the dynamic. My mother had another man's son. And, uh, and the man I call my father, who I love so much, he's a Marine as well. He's passed. Rudy Reyes Sr., uh, he loved me so much and Ray wanted me to be his. But my mother never loved him. My mother really never loved anything because she was such a victim. Um, I have no relationship with her anymore, but um, she was abused horribly. My family uh, from South Texas, uh, traditional Mexican and Mexican-American from South Texas 50 years ago. If any of your audience knows South Texas is old enough to remember how it used to be. It's really like Mexico. And uh, socially and culturally, it's like a hundred years in the past. Women are to look good. They're to cook. They're to make kids. Um, in the machismo culture, you have girlfriends that are 16 to 20 years old. You got your 40 year old wife, you got your three kids and you keep everything separate. And if your wife ever gets out of line, you beat her. And that's the world that my mother grew up in. And so that's the world that I witnessed. Um, and I have two little brothers. I always thought I was so much older than them because of um, because I'm the oldest. But we're only a year and a few months apart each. And um, after my mother left Rudy Reyes Sr. when I was four years old, three years old, we moved to Kansas City. I was raised um, till seven years old in a really stable uh, household. My grandmother, who was Mexican-American, who left my abusive grandfather, who beat me almost to death. Um, he was a sexual abuser too. He sexually abused his, his sons and his son sexually abused my, my mother, I, uh, the whole region. And I know that physical, sexual, and emotional abuse has no socioeconomic, but I'm going to tell you what I've witnessed by being poor and being neglected. The um, vulnerability to innocent children uh, skyrockets because um, there are no barriers and or people in place to watch over. Uh, I, I, I see that the poverty and the emotional and spiritual poverty as well wrapped around some kind of ridiculous victim mindset. You know, my mother used to say horrible things to me about how to uh, not trust white people, hate white people, um, um, hate money. Everybody that has money is a crook and, and life is happening to me. I am not making life happen. This is the way my mother expressed herself. And my gangbanger cousins and such that were in the drug game and in and out of prison. So this is the, the world I grew up in. I had a deep understanding somewhere that this is not true. Her mother left this abusive relationship that was never done. You never had a divorce. She got her education and became a nurse, provided me a suburban house and my two brothers, bicycle, clothing, 
and a nice public school to go to where there was no um, gang fights and bullying and there was no knives, uh, there was no knife fights. Uh, it was wonderful. So because of that, I had a great education until seven years old, which to this day is what has got me over. I learned to read and write. I learned to do arithmetic. I went to a special eight hour long um, preschool and then kindergarten. So I could read and write by five and six years old. It set me up for success. Uh, uh, after that, we felt uh, my mother, um, both her parents died. She made, got a little money from her mother and my grandmother. And then she just went on a drug binge for about the next three years and until all the money was gone. And then my brothers and I uh, went from relatives to friends, to foster care, to the Omaha home for boys. Uh, I had no stable adult in my life ever until I was a teenager. And that was my track coach, my painting coach, my wrestling coach. Um, I had no stable adult in my life till I was about 15, 14. 14, my wrestling coach, who was the Dean of Boys of Omaha, uh, home for boys, uh, Dr. Bobby Orr. And then in Kansas City, Missouri, um, Gene McLean, a star cross-country runner from KU and my painting instructor, uh, who was profound in his exploration of concept and emotional and uh, um metaphysical input to what you're representing on the canvas would ask questions, not just in craft and technique, which I worked my craft and technique very, um, very diligently. No, he wanted to know the motif, the motif. He was also my physical uh, conditioning coach for wrestling because he was such a star in cross country. And, um, and then I pursued martial art, chin man sit. I was always pursuing these manhood um, gateways. I knew I had to be strong and fast. I also knew that I wanted to express myself. That's why I became a painter. And um, so basically the same things still apply in my life now. I want, to, I want to express myself. So I work on disciplines to express myself. I want to be strong and fast. So I train hard and I work on martial art and I surround myself uh, surround myself with competitive, competitive people and around competitive um, environments with com competitive endeavors. So that, you know, he, I had to fight when I was very young and I was hurt once real bad, got a really, really bad scar in my mouth uh, from uh, being slammed in the face, being held by my hair uh, because I was sexually abused as a um, a little boy before I went to the boys' home when I was very small, under, under um, malnourished. Um, it's so interesting. I look at the streets and I see epidemics of obesity, obesity in the poor, obesity. I was so malnourished. My brothers and I, we had lice and, I, and ringworm, and then I had pinworms in my stomach. So we had all these worms coming out of our ass all the time. And, uh, and instead of getting medicine for our head, this is when we were at this relative or that relative. This is when we we're in South Texas in Rob's town, dirt water, freaking South Texas. The answer was just shave our heads. You know how embarrassing it is, you know, just having your head shaved and 
there's still freaking lice crawling around you and your butt itches because you got worms and you're trying to pay attention in school and you've got rotten teeth and you have, and, and, and your self-esteem is so broke the fuck down. It's like, it's like uh, being a POW and it's, 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 it's very hard. And um, I was vulnerable. By the time I got to the boys' home, I'd been through so much freaking hardcore stuff. By the time I was 13 years old, I was so freaking tough. Anybody who was coming to do anything to me, they were going to get, uh, they're going to be up for a rude awakening because I was going to fight and know how to fight as hard as a freaking Wolverine. Nothing and no one is going to hurt me again without me fighting with all I got because you know what? Fuck you is why. Fuck you is why. And that kind of hardness you can't just sign up for or you can't read a book on. That kind of hardness comes from pure survival, for survival instinct, harnessed, harnessing it enough to fight for yourself. And if you can somehow survive through that, you can start thinking about how can I use this to fight for others? I guess there's a precipice there where young men, you see it in the gang communities all the time. Young men on that precipice can say, how can I continue this to, pre to prey on others? Some of us young men go the other way. How can I continue this fight to protect others? And I went, um, I went the route of the latter. Well, firstly, thank, thank you for sharing that because I, I was absolutely just astounded as I started interviewing these incredible human beings that, you know, many of whom are, are elite performers in the tactical space, whether it's police, fire, military, you know, and, and we, the, the facade is there invincible. And I'm always referred to kind of like the Rambo, John Wayne bullshit facade that, that we were raised on. And then you pull behind the curtain and you realize the trauma that so many of these men and women have actually endured when they're young. And the resounding common denominator is multi-generational trauma. And the resounding solution is often mentorship. And, you know, yes. as, as we touched on before we started recording, there's so much division and so much blame and, and expecting these fucking idiots that are in D.C. every four years to fix our country when <laughs> when uh, the answer is that we in our own communities, as you said, you've got a young child, whatever's happened to them, you can either steer them towards a life of, of, of negativity and crime if you're a gangbanging mentor, or you can pull them towards a life of service if you happen right. to be that track coach or that that's arts right. teacher or that just that person who gives a shit enough to take a young man or a young woman and start steering them in the right direction. Oh, it's so true. It's so true. And, and what, and what, uh, empowerment that message. And it's a true message. This is not messaging. So we're not talking as a PR machine. This is historical. This is spiritual. It continues to show up in history in transformations of, of communities in from victims into victors and then uh, communities that now, like look at my Latino community that has moved now into politics and economics because after a few generations, we have become in, uh, really empowered citizens with self-determination. You know, the, uh, when I joined the Marine Corps, the number one minority 
in the combat arms. So that would be the infantry fields, the, um, the artillery fields, and then, of course, the special operations recon. The number one minority was Latino. By the time I left the Marine Corps, the number one uh, uh, majority, the number one, not minority, the uh, number one uh, um, ethnic uh, breakdown of our combat arms was Latino. There we go, taking the white man's jobs again. Yeah, well, you know what? (laughs) Because in a free market society, it's competition-based meritocracy. This is what I love about this country, the potential for meritocracy, because meritocracy develops character. And only through character development can we really, really actualize ourselves. And I don't care what caliber you are. Um, you could be a little 22 caliber guy. You could be 357. You could be a freaking um, 30 out six. You could be a 50 cal. But you have to manicure Whatever caliber you're at, think about manicuring the weapon that you're going to use, making sure it's clean, making sure the spring is in working order, checking your magazines, looking at the cylinders. How you manicure your character depends on how true you shoot your ideas, how true you shoot your your uh, concepts for change, how true you shoot your work into how it affects your family. I'm just creating this as we're speaking right here. I'm just thinking about this as we're talking. I've never used this correlation before. But regardless of your potential, how you manicure is going to dictate how true you can utilize that potential. I think that's a message that people need to understand. Absolutely. Well, speaking of of honing, whether it's, you know, the the mental side, the physical fortitude, martial arts were instrumental into my journey i was a very meek english farm boy you know and i found initially taekwondo (laughs) then shotokan and it was just a constant you know cycle of me thinking i was okay at art and then going to a different one getting my ass handed to me being humbled and then over and over again so walk me through yours yeah what a freaking process Uh, um what a it's the ultimate process brother i i was uh, i'm so i still am obsessed with martial arts you know, Jade and I, for like two hours yesterday, spoke deeply and did demonstrations with our firearms too, and and hand to hand, speaking on Tony Blower's spear system, and in the combat mindset and physiological response to stress and trauma. How do we prepare? How we prepare? is that we are always in a warrior spirit combat mindset, meaning everything we do and everything we don't do, does it improve our position as human beings and powerful, aware human beings, or is it attriting our position? It's very, very simple. It's very, very simple. That does not mean easy. Simple. Am I improving my position and empowering myself for the hordes or for disease or for depression? Am I empowering myself to fight these fucking enemies? Or am I attriting myself so that when they come, because they will come, 
um, the fight is lost before you ever throw a punch. So um, I started with boxing and wrestling, then Shaolin Kung Fu. After doing Shaolin Kung Fu, Shorin Ru and Shorinji Ru, uh, which is the Okinawan word for Shaolin, Shorin. So you'll see some crane and snappy, faster movement. Then I got into some Shotokan, which is based on the Kung Fu style of Tiger. Really strong style and really, really interesting. My favorite Shotokan fighter is uh, Machida, Yoto Machida. When he came out on the UFC, everyone's like, what the hell? Who is this guy? He looks so relaxed. His hands are not even up. Well, in the Shotokan, the hands are here. And the relaxation between the feet, um, because also it was used uh, for swordsmanship. It was it, the Okinawan uh, art that moved to Japan. Japan's arts 200 years ago were Aikia Jitsu, uh, Jujitsu, not BJJ, a more striking version of throwing and grappling. Uh, Iaido, uh, the sword, um, uh, kendo, the more sport part, that came later. Um, the bow art, horsemanship, you know, war arts, war uh, uh, systems, war systems. So when they're developing another karate, they made it similar to in athletic positions of swordsmanship. Boom, 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 right? So here's Machida. Controlling distance, lead uh, foot trip, reverse punch, boom, knockout. Here's Machida leaning back, boom, front punch kick uh, uh, to either Vitor Belfort or, or, or Couture, drop. Um, uh, Machida, one of my very favorites. And, and, after, and, oh, all the while wrestling judo. Then through Marine Corps jiu-jitsu. And then after Marine Corps, Paulo Fernando, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, a brother from Brazil, a legend, a Pan Am, a Pan American Games gold medalist and judo man. Uh, then um, um, the the legend uh, Carlson Gracie, who is Vitor Belfort's coach, who's the the first three dimensional MMA fighter. He was fighting MMA in uh, Brazil throwing kicks, wearing trunks, not gi, free fighting like Boss Rutten. Boss Rutten is one of my idols too, and I trained with him. Um, Carlson was my coach, uh, all the while still keeping my gun arts and, and, and my weapon arts. The number one technique in all fighting, first of all, is don't get tired. The number one technique always is do not get tired. If you're tired, uh, you lose your, your ability to think. If you lose ability to think, you're slow and now you're reactive instead of proactive. This is combat stuff. That that any student of the martial art must understand if they're serious. If they're serious, they must understand. First and foremost, you must never be tired and it's tired is a state of mind. Fatigue is natural, but you must never be tired. And you can when you get into the martial art and the martial spirit, it is a life's work. It is working in you always, and you are working through it always. That's what I have to say about that. Beautiful. Yeah, I mean, I've never, obviously I've never stopped. I've paused through my, my career, but I've never stopped. And I'm now in, um, back in BJJ in uh, Gainesville, Wonderful. Um, Wonderful. But you talked about Bass. I had Bass on the show as well. Another amazing human being. 
Yeah. Oh my gosh, brother. So when I met Boss, he's my, I, I mean, I don't get starstruck. You know what I mean? I mean, I've already, I've already been around superstars. Superstars are fucking war. And, uh, and, uh, but Boss, um, my idol, I've built a lot of my ways of approach through him. Actually, we're very similar beings. We were very creative and we utilize all of our assets and they were small and humble at first, but they turn into great assets to make ourselves better. And we're very creative. So I met boss and you know, boss is still, although he's getting older between his chest and back, he's like this freaking thick. He is a robust Dutchman. This brother. Oh, he's so freaking amazing. I still do his training. I still do his workout. You know, the, the 30 minute freaking thrash. I still, I still do that. Um, he uh, was so humble and laughed at himself. He was with this wonderful wife, that beautiful blonde lady tall. Um, I don't remember her name, but he, she's been with him from the beginning. Um, and we got some shots. He was so happy to meet me because I trained. Uh, some of his students were on Generation Kill. And so he heard about me through through his students because I would use his boss route in 30 minute all uh, full uh, full body freaking workout for our conditioning for the class for, for this for the actors. And we're talking and laughing, and then Prince comes on. I am a star from Purple Rain. And he goes, Prince, this is my favorite. When I heard this song, I thought this is the song about me. I know. I didn't care what anybody thought, but I knew I was going to be a star. I am a star. <laughs> <laughs> In a bar full of people being completely unabashedly himself, his heart and soul shining through. I think if we boil down an element to the, the people that we find ourselves attracted to and, and and who we admire and, and, and who resounds in us, they have an element of that. That they're so unabashedly just themselves, unfettered, completely free. And, um, and, that's, and that's how boss is. And I think that's, I'm a little bit like that as well. Yeah, I mean, such a, a humble human being. I know he was having problems with his neck when we, when oh, we chatted yeah. last, so I'm hoping that he's doing better now. Um, is, uh, how long ago was that, James? I want to say it was probably about two years ago now. So it's a little okay. while. Is it, is it his right or left arm that's been atrophied? Uh, I, I, I forget which one it was, but I know, yeah, yeah. One, one side he was having some pretty significant problems with. Well, you know what, brother? We've put, as we warriors and fighters put ourselves to the meat grinder, um, one day you hit an age where the recovery and or the aches and pains just really start adding up. I'm there. For me, for <laughs> me, it was this year at 50, you know, I'm 50 years old. And, um, and I started developing some tendonitis because you can see back here, I have my rings back here. I'm always training, right? Well, I tend to overdo what I love <laughs> and I love it. So I overdo it. So after COVID, I pushed myself so hard when I finally was healthy again, after about a month, I went crazy. And from doing so much muscle ups and explosives, uh, a spinning of the wrist, uh, flying through the air, I woke up and I couldn't freaking move my, my left wrist and left hand the next day. 
That's been like three or four months ago. And it has bouts of ache and pain, right? So I rub it. And then when I tried to stay off of it, it hurt worse. So I said, fuck it, I'll just keep using it. And actually when I use it, it hurts a little less. Uh, it's just, but it's always a bit achy. And we live in the South where we're right on the ocean. We have lots of cloud cover and lots of barometric pressure. But my wrist gets achy in the morning, my forearm. And I remember when it first hurt really bad, I thought about boss's neck, which affected his arm. And I said, well, Rudy Reyes, what do you expect continuously putting your body, your mind, your soul through the meat grinder because of your obsession with manhood? What do you expect, Rudy Reyes? And um, I'm like, yeah, you're right. That's the cost. Uh, and I just kind of laughed and looked in the mirror. And I said, that's the cost. So keep going. And uh, you just work, to, you work through it. You work around it. Um, you do your best. I, I have a wonderful doctor and a, a doctor team called Life Med Institute. BPC-157, Epamorlin, a peptide to release your HGH you take every night. I've been off of it since my last season. And uh, uh, it because this releases your HGH at the same time, every time you take your medicine, it warms your whole body, gets, hits those GABA receptors, and all of a sudden you get relaxed and then you fall asleep. Well, I've been, I, I haven't been on my regimen um, and I was using my BPC-157 for my injury. Been off for three months and these aches and pains being in this high, like Florida, high barometric pressure, all of the impacts, all of the fighting, all of the carrying of immense loads my entire life, the, the, the punishing triathlons and marathons I put myself through and ignored the pain of slamming my body through that freaking run so I can be number one, so I can freaking win. It all started coming on. Uh, but I went to my, uh, after I got back from SAS, I went to Life Med Institute, IV after IV for three or four days, training, red light therapy, sonic therapy on my, uh, on my busted appendages from doing immense helo casting and fighting. I had to fight 12, 14 recruits, one after another, full, um, full power. I was fighting NFLers, NBAers, seven foot tall guys one after another, after another at 50 years old. Right. And I still whoop that ass. <laughs> um, and, uh, I came, I came home really busted up, you know, and so life med Institute, I can't recommend them enough. Any of you men and women that are still pushing your body so hard and brains and you, and, and you demand the best out of yourself and you're no longer 25 or 30, but you're still at the cutting edge at 50, as we all are these days. None of us, very few of us can afford to step away from work and providing um, at 50. You still have to be a, a, a warrior, just like you were when you were 30. Um, my, my doctor helps me a lot with that. I know that uh, the VA is not very good at um, protecting and providing uh, health for your life. They're just good at medicating you. These people at Life Med, they really hold back the hands of time for, for men and women that are still at that cutting edge. Recommend any man, woman that is into their health and fitness, do everything you possibly can, invest in every way possible to, uh, to help your brain, your body, your nervous system to be its best. 
that's my advice beautiful yeah i mean that's i'm at 48 now and uh martial arts i was i've been a stuntman most of my career a firefighter <laughs> and it takes it takes its toll and i look in the mirror it like does. oh for fuck's sake <laughs> this is brother, this is what 48 feels like <laughs> brother you, do you know what i'm saying like sometimes you wake up you're like ah, oh, you're like what the hell why am i stiff it's brother it's it's the wear and tear what do they say it's not the it's not the uh it's not the age it's the mileage yeah, absolutely. And I think what I found, I don't know if you get this too, is like, I'll wake up and like, oh, f- fantastic. That thing doesn't hurt anymore. The thing I was yeah. doing and then oh, something the- else flares up. I'm like, you got to be yeah. fucking kidding me. Yeah. You know, James, do you recognize like when you just warm up really good and you get so into the flow of training, the best medicine is that flow. Because during that flow, and then after about 20 or 30 minutes, your endorphins are hitting and you feel that you've hit this new gear of existence. And uh, that new gear of existence is like a slipstream that transports you mentally, physically, spiritually. Um, I think that's, I, I think that's the, the, the real gold. If we keep that peace in our life, we'll have a part of us that it's eternal. I mean, we'll be eternally young. I can't wait to train now. I mean, uh, after I woke up, yes, I didn't train yesterday because I trained so hard the day before. And because I was working yesterday, I didn't eat until later in the evening. When my my Jade came home, she was, we had to recalibrate. She comes home now because she's at school right now doing her concealed carry um, instructor courses. Instructor. Uh, then I want to interface. We got to take the dog. Now it's time to eat, but I freaking haven't trained and I'm freaking sore from the day before. So last night, late last night, all I was doing while I was watching the uh, the show with Jade and talking about fighting and knife fighting and knife and and, and aggression and and violence and that fighting is violence. So you have to stand, you have to have uh, um, off gases for the freaking combat stress that goes along with violence and uh, I'm just obsessing about what I'm going to do for training today. So last night, you want to talk about what it is to be a warrior. You need to, this needs to be you. You need to obsess about what you're going to train, even the day before, like excited about it, like excited about what you're going to get into. Creative, thinking like, oh, what am I going to, what have I not worked on in a while? What, what, what's going to be really challenging? If you are doing that, then you're on the right path. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I do. I do. I do indeed. Those are my reading glasses. That's something I've never dealt with before. I got reading glasses now, brother. It just happened to me. My wife's uh, in optometry school now, so she's literally okay. about to be an eye doctor, and she's laughing her ass off because I think it was it was almost overnight. From okay, I can still read pretty close to Jesus Christ. You know what? Yes. <laughs> what just yes, happened? It- it happened to me about three years ago. I was like, what? I thought, you know what it was? I'm just looking at my phone after I'm hungover. You know what I mean? I'm like, ah. Oh. <laughs> I did. I realized, no, you, you know. I didn't drink last night. <laughs> yeah, I didn't drink. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a, that's a little, uh, it's a little uh, humbling. It, in a way, it's, it's, it's almost like God and, and the creator giving you clues that you are moving to your death. And since we're now, since we're now really aware, we're moving to our death. 
um, it really makes things, it should make things crystal clear in your life. I believe that's what it is. I, uh, you know, our, our age, the, the, the aches, the pains, the vision, the ability to uh, reflect. It gives us the maturity that we're stepping closer and closer to death. And, and of course, it can be fearful if you just take a moment, really think and feel what it's like that you're going to leave who you love. Um, and then also it's uh, very sobering and honest so that since we know we're going to be dying soon, every moment that we are plugged in and aware of our lives, it needs to be uh, doing something that really resounds in our spirit. So it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful call to action. Mortality. It's a beautiful call to action. That's the way I look at it. Yeah. I think if, if you acknowledge it and I I was just having this kind of realization recently that, you know, we talk about all these compounding elements for mental ill health, but I think one thing that's hardly ever discussed is mortality and it's simultaneously, as you said, inspiring and, and, um, you know, pushes you towards action, as you said, and but can simultaneously be be crippling and terrifying. So it's that yes. paradox. It is so true, so true, brother. It's um, you know, I uh, I listen I, I listen to music when I'm training that is thematically inspirational or very uh, in depth. I mean, it could be the depth of. And the nihilism, the Nietzschean freaking uh, darkness from joy division to the cult's love to uh, Eminence Front by The Who. Uh, I really love listening to to Tina Turner as well, because as I'm listening to her music and I'm training, I'm not just listening to her music and her words and her voice. I'm thinking about the human being's transformation, her transformation of being abused and beaten and raped and controlled and having everything taken from her. And uh, with her three kids in her arms, uh, leaving the man that abused her and beat her and controlled her and starting her life over with nothing. If that's not a freaking hero, it brings me to fucking tears every time I think about it. This is why I listen to this kind. That is why I must be reinforced with tales of strength and humanity against all odds. Um, because that's, those are the, the waters I choose to bathe in myself. You know what I mean? And, uh, and I think that's, that's why I had to become a recon Marine. So I had to become a Marine. That's why I had to become a fighter and, uh, and fight in the ring. That's why I had to study um, and discipline myself in high school and, and issue drugs and alcohol. That's why I had to lift weights every single day, even though I didn't even know what I was doing. But because I knew by picking up things heavy and pushing things that are heavy, that I'm going to make myself stronger and harder to, to hurt, harder to defeat. Um, every uh, position layered upon the next and the next. Jade and I were talking last night. Um, You know, in martial arts, especially 
in the first world where martial arts are rarely used to fight or defend oneself or protect one's life to the level of they would be in Congo or um, the Middle East. Their martial arts, the martial arts is normally the gun and then the next is the machete and there's the tools and, and the martial art is the, um, the hard heart that, that can kill. That's the martial art is the hard heart that kills. Only in first worlds can we pontificate about technique and this and that. <laughs> um, train all your martial art techniques. And from my experience, uh, first and foremost, um, it's one mind, any weapon. And the martial art is in the manicuring of mindfulness and the disciplining of the body. I didn't even talk about which stage the fight's going to take place. I'm not talked about, are we grappling? Are we striking? Are we, uh, do we have blades or do we have firearms? I'm not even talking about that. That's none of that even matters yet. The manicuring of, of the mind and attention through disciplining and hardening of the body. Uh, that's the bedrock of it all. And, um, and so Jade and I were talking last night and, you know, this is a wonderful man named Tony Blower, high-end martial artist, uh, came up with Danny Santo, legend in space, trained a lot of special operations people too, specifically in, Sure, we understand as fighters controlling distance. Sure, we understand uh, structure of body to um, protect oneself from the basic attacks or create avenues of approach that the enemy can only come to and you're prepared for. Of course, we understand about VO2 max training uh, and having uh, explosive uh, speed and strength and, of course, the endurance. Of course, we understand how to sprawl when someone shoots or gets for one leg, um, to, to resist the urge to then strike with the hand in which the wrestler can just go for the other leg and now you're on your back. Of course, we understand two when throwing shots high, dropping levels and shooting. So the basics, sure, aside from all that, why do in system, in, in, in situations of violence, do even high-end fighters not do so well? Even though they're high-end fighters, maybe even champs. Well, it's because there's a primitive brain and nervous system um, that we have evolved from and it comes from purely prey and predator prey and predator and that is a hard thing to accept that all of us with just the electricity being out for a year and no medicine and those stuck living in between the cities could be preyed upon not just by people but by dogs by the big cats have mercy if you're in africa you're freaking done so that there's prey and predator there's meat we are meat we need meat to survive we are meat for others if we are not careful sobering and um uh, and this tony blower works into the flinch response and he works into okay since we've understood through data that violent confrontations, um, and we look at even as the chimpanzees, they do eight to one. 
The chimpanzees had a, um, a uh, mob mentality, eight to one. You can see that mob mentality in humans, and it can start as small as three to one. But it's still mob. Very difficult to defeat multiple opponents. Um, so Tony expresses the mind must be proactive and looking for a fight always, because now when you see the fight, now you can learn how to get away from the fight. First and foremost technique, especially Jade, Jade's 120 pounds and she's got a pistol um, or she's got a knife and she's very strong and she trains, but she will be the first to tell you at my weight. If I get, if the hands are on, then it's anybody's go. So I have to insist that I am there to no matter what, do as much damage to include killing to prevent me from being killed because that's the, that's the stakes. And th this is a whole sobering way of, of receiving life because it's actually the truth. Life is a combat. Life is, life is fucking combat. It really is only, and see, you're in the, you're in the, in the fire service and in stunts. So you're dealing with danger and in fire service, you're dealing with life and death. You can tell that the veneer, the paper towel, the gossamer wing freaking um, separation between the horrors and the, and the dangers and the fleeting nature of biological life and then what we consider society, it's freaking paper thin. As soon as that's punched through. Um, uh, one self-concept and one so, uh, concept of the world is completely shattered. That's trauma. That is what trauma is. One self-concept or concept of the world is shattered. Trauma. So what... So what are we here to do? We're here to freaking prepare ourselves and empower ourselves to repel the enemy's assault. And the enemy is in the spiritual enemy, the physical enemy, the disease enemy, the disease enemy, the bad guy enemy, the bad guy inside ourselves enemy. This is what a warrior, this is what a fighter does. And it, and it never ends. No, well, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, I think one of the other scary things is we're right. just not tested very often, you know, and when no, we are in the Western the world, world. No. So, you know, I, you put yourself into, you know, jujitsu roles and, and kickboxing yes. matches and those kind of things. But, you know, there's also a cost too. If you're a firefighter, you can't get too smashed up because you got to go to work no, in, in two days. So that's a really you're hard exactly balance. You're right, brother. It is. And it's, you're right. The jujitsu, if you've got good rolling partners, is probably the safest way. But have mercy. You know, we're men. We're men. We have pride. We have to be careful. There'll be a time when you're at freaking class and some blue belts or, or even white belts, but they're just out of the Marine Corps and they're fucking strong and they're savages. And you, against your better judgment, say, ah, oh, fuck it, I'll roll with them. And then they end up freaking... Uh, uh, separating your elbow or freaking tweaking your freaking shoulder. You know how it goes. So you have to be careful when you get older. You have to stay engaged thinking every battle I'm picking. 
So stick with your training partners that when you guys just move to position, not submission, because you already know that you got position and you know the submissions there and you continue to roll. Resist the urge or laziness to uh, allow these, um, these risk factors that can affect your larger mission of warriorness. You know what I mean? Oh, I do. So I had my rib my... popped out about two months ago. <laughs> okay. I got you, right? And uh, I hear you, brother. I, so these days, mostly, I just work skills and tools and conditioning. And then I'll roll and do some wrestling, too. Um, um, I, I am not in the habit of taking shots anymore. I've already taken too many shots. Um, and I've, I've got some brain problems, the fog, too, probably from so much explosives and um, physical head trauma. Um, also I, there was a, there was a quite a trans in my transition from like, uh, a POW, I was a POW here in America after I got out of the Marine Corps, I was a POW, POW to myself. I was fighting all the time. I was fighting in the streets. I was fighting multiple people. I, um, I was in, I was intentionally throwing myself into every violent confrontation I could and this was very outside my character. This is not who I am my entire life. But after Fallujah and Ramadi, after all limitations of cruelty and destruction have been completely blowtorched out of my soul, uh, I found ways to not give a fuck about anything or anyone, including myself. So in, in a sense, I guess, kind of like a person that cuts themselves. Jade and I were talking about this recently too. This new phenomenon of cutting. I'd never heard of this fucking ridiculous shit when I was coming up. Life was too hard for you to want to cut yourself. Life was cutting you. <laughs> Life was cutting your ass. You didn't need to cut yourself. <laughs> so that, that, that's, that, that same kind of thing that we're seeing these people doing these cuttings, that's what I was doing to myself after war. Um, not with a blade, but um, um, metaphorically, I was finding ways to corrupt myself and hurt myself because I needed to feel something. And also I hated myself. And why did I help hate myself? I didn't know why. Um, it's because I compartmentalized some of the uh, things that I had to do and was a part of. I had to compartmentalize it because if I let it into my consciousness, it was just was so heartbreaking and confusing. Um, after leaving it there in this black basement, this dark basement um, that I locked up, but I threw, but I threw away the key, uh, except I didn't throw away the key. The key was hanging around my neck the whole time. To leaving it there for so long, uh, it had turned into such a mess. My, my life had become such a mess that I was close to suicide, very close to suicide. I lost, lost the ability to see my son. Um, I had an extremely hard drug habit, extremely, a really, really heavy drug habit, uh, heavy alcohol habit. Um, and I was, a, um, I was a hermit, like uh, nobody saw me for months at a time, except for task or except for work. Um, I was falling apart. And uh, when, I sh when I took that key off my neck and I opened up that, the door to the cellar to the basement. And I, I started looking at the things that um, had affected me with some sober eyes. I see that most of these things I had no control over and the control I did have was almost an illusion. 
Um, I never, um, I had such a high bar for myself. I mean, look, look who my mentors are, Roger Sparks, Chun Man Sit, my Kung Fu teacher, Bobby Orr, my wrestling coach, you know, Gene McLean, my painting coach and track and, uh, and, and cross country. Roger Sparks is a depth of humanism. I had an unreal bar for my ability to be a compassionate human and a warrior. You can be a compassionate human um, in an abstract way, but in the very real techniques, you must be a warrior and a warrior compartmentalizes pain and is able to uh, accept savagery and cruelty upon himself and do it upon others. If we were not savage and professional and violent, James, we wouldn't be having this conversation because I'd be dead in Fallujah or Ramadi, or I'd be dead in Kandahar, Afghanistan, or I'd be dead in Northeast Africa. We wouldn't have this conversation if I didn't first learn how to compartmentalize my feelings and my compassion and learn to embrace cruelty and violence systematically. And wow, there's the conundrum, isn't it? So that's why we, you know, People talk about veterans issues and, and brothers and sisters that are fighting at the front, like yourself and, and the first responders, firefighting, police. Let's be mindful to not just speak about our injuries and traumas as um, a, a, uh, an injury that cannot be healed or a shame or that there's a shame involved there. How about forget the shame? How about this freaking greatest badge of courage? Is it you've been, you had your damn soul sliced open or your damn arm cut off in pursuit of doing something you believe in. And from that scar, you will always see, but doesn't hurt so much anymore. And maybe there's a lesson there that you can push forward to the next generation. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Well, just to draw from something that we've got in common, which is the martial arts and Chinese philosophy, something that really struck me somewhat recently, really, is when you look at that facade of masculinity that you and I were raised upon, I realized what a disconnect that was. What took you into the military, what took me into the fire service, aside from I think both of us, that pursuit of masculinity, that pursuit of being the protector, and especially in your case, wanting the buck to stop with all the the generational trauma that you'd endured. But it was kindness and compassion. So it was the soft side of the yin-yang. That's what brought you in. Now, when you are in a firefight, when you're in, as you mentioned, some of the most notorious cities in the Middle East of these conflicts of the last 20 years, um, when I'm going into um, a structure fire or working in a horrendous wreck, there's no time for for that soft part. You have to be in that flow state. You have to be the warrior. But after that has happened, whether it's when you've deployed, when you've come home from a deployment, whether you've, you know, you've come home from your shift, that's when that soft has to come back in to process what you did as a warrior. And what I see in our military, in our first responders, is there's this almost like discarding of the soft, compassionate, the same fucking element that brought you into this profession. And now you become 
you know, a white circle. You all hard, yes. you're all hard. And then you transition out and you wonder why the fuck am I struggling? Because that was your identity and you forgot to give not only the people around you that compassion that led you through, but more importantly, really, you forgot to give your fucking self that kindness and compassion that you deserve for the things that you did for your community and your country. That's you, you nailed it, James. And you, you know, we've seen it in ourselves. I've seen that in myself and I see it rampant in my warrior and warrior um, combat community. It's like running, running and gunning in a new city and, uh, and you've lost your map and compass and you have no GPS and you're fighting alley alleyway, street to street, structure to structure. And then the sun goes down and you don't know where you are and you don't know how to, to get back. I think that's what happens emotionally to us professional fighters, whether it's firefighters, police, military men, special operations. We are in zone, so heavy, so hard, moving alley to alleyway inside, moving street to street, building to building, taking on all comers, losing men, um, uh, having men replaced as well. And this is a metaphorical journey. We go through these professions that take us into this extremity. Then one day we turn and we don't know where we are and we don't know how to access that idealism and that spirit and that compassion that got us there in the first place. It made us want to pursue a life of sacrifice. We get lost, do not know how to access and that slow spiral turns into a very, very fast spiral. And uh, if not addressed, turns into a bullet train of self-destruction. Um, I think, you know, you, you develop coping skills in the fight. And those coping skills eventually wall you off from your deeper humanity. We've seen this across all of our communities and we've seen this across time. Um, now we are in an age of information and in a way that we can communicate that we've never been able to do before. And that's what's so great about these platforms, I believe, is through this communication and sharing. Holy smokes, man, we are impacting and giving opportunities through spiritual, individual spiritual development for people to take control of their lives again. You know, absolutely. Well, I want to kind of move forward to Generation Kill again. We got a, a mutual friend, um, Bobby Burke, who uh, oh, was yeah. in that too. So he was on the show. I just, yeah, I'm going to see Bobby in two weeks. I'm going to see Bobby in two weeks. Yeah, he's he's the best firefighter. Yes, exactly. Compelled, a man of action. Compelled. Oh, I love that Bobby Burke. You know, he met me for the first time out there in uh, Namibia filming Generation Kill, and. Uh, uh, we're still very, very, we're, we're incredibly close. We spend a lot of time together. We help each other. Um, yeah, he's magnificent. He's just magnificent. What a, uh, if for those of you out there that don't know Bobby Burke, he played general Mattis in, in generation kill, 
but he's been acting for a long time since the eighties and uh, handsome. I mean, he was in tombstone. Um, he was in this great Stephen King book called, uh, or a book turned into a movie called thinner. Um, he's, uh, he's just super badass, And he played general Mattis. Um, what was so compelling when I got to meet him, first of all, he's a great actor and I, and I know who he was, you know, but he started his firefighting journey because he's a New Yorker and his idol and mentor was the warrior firefighter that was leading the charge when the towers were hit and saving people and going into the fray, you know, allowing himself to be burned by the freaking responsibilities of protecting life. Uh, ultimately was, was killed and perished. It affected Bobby so deeply. It broke his freaking heart. Instead of walling himself away, instead of blaming somebody or somebody, something else, he said, I'm taking charge of my life and I'm going to follow in his footsteps. So Bobby Burke, the famous actor, is actually an even more badass firefighter. And now I think he's a fire. What, what's the rank? He's a high up guy now. Yeah, well, he just we just went back and forth. I actually messaged him telling him that we were about to do this. Um, awesome. Yeah, I, I just talked to him yesterday. We were just messaging yesterday. <laughs> so I think he's, he's stepped down from a rank purely so he can focus on being more hands-on again. I think he, I forget which, oh, which rank he was yeah. at. But what was so awesome about our conversation is we're yeah. talking he was in Rescue Me for a little bit and, and some oh, of these other shows. But Rescue then, Me was, I believe, loosely based on him. Yes. Seeing his rescue me, what was profound about rescue me and a lot of these youngsters, yes, 20 something kids, they don't know rescue me. Rescue me was outstanding. Did you notice, think about these parallels with rescue me and like the band of brothers Pacific, because that was a much gnarly, um, it's Marine Corps. It was nothing nice about the combat. It was not a European enemy that we shared languages with. No, this is an alien force. that was uh, solely determined to defeat us. And we had to become absolute animals to defeat the Japanese. The sense that the combat is never over. And then also the humor and the dark gallows humor, as well as the ghosts that haunt your mind that was rescue me the parallels to me from my experience of extremities in war and in communities of warriors uh rescue me was more like the marine corps you know it was like a tv show about the culture of of um sacrifice and what it really takes and what it takes from you and what it gives to you as well that's what was so profound about Bobby Burke. And the story of Dennis Leary was really about Bobby seeing his, instead of his older brother, it's his, uh, his he called him his brother, the mentor uh, warrior that he looked up to, who was the firefighter. Uh, parallels, incredible. I recommend the audience check out Rescue Me. It's incredible. Well, at the end of our interview, 
the tones go off and he has to run off to a call. So that kind of was like the icing oh, on the cake. Oh, wow. <laughs> See what I'm saying? So, wow. yeah. And now with, with touching on the Pacific, another Marine, um, I told wow. you about James Capers, Major James Capers before, but I had uh, Frank Wright on who was a Marine Raider on Iwo Jima. Wow. And amazing. And and what really, really blew me away, and this is kind of the same with Band of Brothers when the real men of Easy Company are talking. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. I, ju- I just had the medic from that, the guy that portrayed the medic um, on the show, Shane. But Frank talked openly about PTSD. And to hear a World War II voice be vulnerable and really be able to open up, I mean, we're talking, you know, 80 years later, was absolutely incredible. Yes, yes, um, because it, 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 post-traumatic stress, um, we find it in the animal kingdom. Of course we have it. And we've had it from the very beginning of time. We've had predators that used to eat us. Do you remember? Can you imagine what it would be like if you survived? Or you saw your wife or, or your children eaten and you are racing for your life? Or, or trying to get the spear to get the freaking panther or the wolves off of you. This is the bedrock and the essential life and death struggle of everything on this planet. And we were not separated from that. Because of modern technology, we feel that we're separated. But you go into this fire service, you realize, no, human beings and all life is very vulnerable. Uh, and, and there was a misnomer to the greatest generation that they just got on with life. Well, there's many factors here. They fought in a world war in which if we lost, not only did we have the savagery of the Germans and the Japanese, we had the complete inhumanity of the Soviet Union ready to come on scene too. People do not know their history. Young people do not read history. They do not listen to history. Uh, It blows me away about really how uh, uneducated most of my countrymen, young countrymen are, very uneducated. Uh, They're uneducated in the ways of life and death. Um, So these men that came back from World War II and the Marines, the Marine Raiders, that's that's the root of recon. Uh, small boats, black freaking cami paint, um, hunter killer missions in the in the in the dead of night. You know, naked warriors. I'm a combat diver, so you know this. This is my. This is my. These are my saints. The Marine Corps Raiders, Iwo Jima. I talk about John Bassalone every freaking day, still to this day. Talk about him carrying that freaking 30 cal machine gun on his forearm because in the combat, in the cover of darkness and the incoming and outgoing, he lost his asbestos glove to grab that barrel. So he threw that barrel up on his freaking forearm and he freaking worked through that enemy. That barrel burned all the way through his muscles into his bone here. He just left it there and worked as the sun came up. Um, Oh, and he's running ammo back and forth to positions to keep from being overrun. He runs out, starts grabbing bodies and pulling them out of the way by himself to clear his avenue, his fields of fire, because that night they're coming back again. 
he ultimately running ammunition is hit by a small patrol of Japanese. He goes pistol to knife to hand to hand to utilizing a Japanese bayonet to then utilizing an Ito hand to hand killing bare hands. I've got some experience hurt doing some work like this. Got some experience putting my hands on people on my enemy. What this man was, was, was doing for his country and what he sacrificed himself. Um, many people should just um, be in, should just humbly reflect on that and be in uh, be in awe. And, we, and when people want to talk horrible about our country, about the United States of America, when they want to when they want to talk about institutional this or that and how freaking horrible and racist and such we are, they need to reflect on those things. Because without those men that fought the Germans, Japanese, and soon the Soviet Union, without them, we would not have this country anymore. We wouldn't even have an ability to, to debate. And, and um, it's just really, really profound. They had PTSD, but they came back from life and death where everybody in the country was committed to them. That's the difference. We come back now. You listen to, we watch First Blood again. First Blood, the first one was Sloan. He's like, you know, back there, I could fly a gunship. I could drive a tank. I was in charge of millions of dollars worth of equipment. Back here, I can't even hold a job parking cars. I was somebody there. I'm nothing here. And then Troutman says, it's, it's over, John. He goes, nothing is over. Nothing. For you, he says, for you, it's over because, because he's in the system. There's layers that can protect you for a time. Because one day, you don't think General Mattis, now that he's retired, you don't think that he's going through things? You know he is. Yes, you know, Rambo says, for you. And then he says, nothing is over. Nothing. You just don't turn it off. Isn't that interesting, brother? When I was a little boy watching that John Rambo taking his needle and thread out of his knife and sewing himself up and using a compass and, and, and creating a hide sight and a spear, I was compelled. I wanted to be just like him. <clears throat> and and, I, and I, became, I became just like him. And I had no idea as a boy. You don't understand what he's saying when he's saying, for you, it's over. For you. You don't understand, you can't understand that. And on our recon jack, you know, Roger and I have our recon jack here. On the skull, there's the three bullet holes, pain, misery, and suffering. And that is what you must accept if you choose to, um, to give yourself to the title. If you choose to live your, your life as a warrior, as a recon man, um, those bullet holes don't go away. Those bullet holes just don't go away. They just never go away. Um, so these men came back from World War II with a whole country behind them. And at a time in our country where industry and technology began to explode so they could put these men to work. What we're finding now is that these men, because they could be workaholics, that's what I, that was my first uh, technique in dealing with PTSD. I became a workaholic until it didn't work anymore. You find alcoholism and you find beating of their wives 
And then what do you find by the time of the Vietnam generation? A disillusionment. A disillusionment of children to their fathers. And then a disillusionment of our country to our fathers. This PTSD, uh, it is not a phenomenon. And I'm so happy that now we are opening up discourse so that we understand how um, part and parcel it is of the human experience so that we can take off the um, stigmas and, and also not lean into the tropes and the freaking, um, the, the parlor tricks of it too. You know, um, I'm watching the terminal list right now and there's a lot of gimmicks with all this freaking tactical gimmick shit. It's so stupid. However, what's great about it are the themes. The themes are wonderful and the acting is excellent. And I do not give praise to acting much unless it's, ap- unless it's top shelf. The themes and the acting are excellent. And you talk about the, the themes are disposable heroes. Um, and the fact is, is that since the beginning of time, or since the beginning of city-states, modern society, probably starting with the Greeks and then the Romans, uh, the Chinese for sure all along, this is the, what the um, stable structures of trade, uh, uh, public works like sewers and, and picking up the garbage. And uh, in our case, electricity, climate control, it's all built on that kind of blood and sacrifice. It really is from, from, from the beginning, from China, from Greece, from Sumeria, from the Middle East. There's a lot to unpack here. I know we're getting into the World War II. John Bastlone and Iwo Jima. I speak, I mean, Jade will tell you, you look at my house, you see my Marine Corps stuff everywhere. It's, I demand to touch it every day. Mentally, spiritually, physically. I demand it. I look at it every single day. I feel it every day. I discipline my body with this in mind. It's so that I never forget. Lest we forget. Lest we forget. Um, there's a big problem in our country right now and in the world um, with this, this new terminology, this woke terminology and all of this. It's so... Um, adolescent and narcissistic. There's a level of narcissism that really our cultures have nobody to to blame but ourselves. The outgrowth and pursuit of wealth and status of the 80s. And then the 90s, the explosion of tech in the internet age. What we're seeing now is the bastard children created by a world that gratifies immediate needs as opposed to collective and shared suffering and delayed gratification, which made human beings the most successful species on the planet. We need to be discussing these things more and more. I'm glad that you have your podcast to do these things. Uh, um, I do every podcast people ask me to do as soon as I can fit it in. I did a really great one recently on Power Athlete. Uh, they're very good friends of mine, John Wellborn, who created CrossFit football, Chiefs player, prof- uh, professional NFL player, um, PhD in psychology as well. Doctor, this dude, 
warrior sage, skull warrior. Um, love you, baby. Um, really, really amazing. We think about where we've come from World War II and World War I, the Great War. I studied the Great War as well. And of course, Vietnam. Um, do you know that we were, I mean, we were fighting a proxy war of the Soviet Union and China and Vietnam. And all of the critique that we got, love you, baby, all the critique we got from freaking fighting in Vietnam and doing hard shit and, and some evil shit in South America, we were fighting a totalitarian regime known as communism. And communism, by definition, sounds amazing. But it's preposterous put into action. Um, you know these dumbasses out here that wear their Che Guevara? And, and call themselves Marxists and all these freaking dumbass children. And I don't care if they're 35 or 45 years old, they're children. Do they know that Stalin killed more of his own people, slaughtered in death camps more of his own people than anyone ever on the planet? Made Hitler look like junior varsity. We were fighting a war which our modern Americans and the Brits too, the UK, our levels of trade and human comfort were on the line. If it would have gone the other way and the Soviet system, i.e. this totalitarian regime was running, uh, was running the planet, because they would if we would have lost. Uh, we would not be living like this and we could not have conversations like this. We would be, you and I would be locked up with secret police would be at our doors right now. Right. Um, it, it's very interesting. It, it, we need more discussions with our young people and maybe have them interface with our older generation that maybe came out of the cold war. Well, I think the big thing that I, that I notice um, is, is it, double-pronged negative effect firstly this cancel culture is removing the opposition to the same tyranny that we see cyclically happening yes. in all countries including our own yes and then that also canceling history let's say you take down you know a, a, a slave trader put a fucking plaque saying this guy was an asshole and fucking leave it in the middle of your city Change I what agree. it says, don't it? But if we forget the, the lessons of history, how are we supposed to educate our children and also we enforce are that to gratitude? Yeah. Yes, we're doomed to repeat it. And you know what, brother? Let's, you know, that's a fantastic point. I do not believe about, about taking down any statues. Just like I don't believe, like, okay, how about the Marvel movies? They're reimagining all these characters and now they're gay and now they're this race or that race. By the way, you know why I feel good about saying this? Because I'm Mexican-American. So I can. So anybody wants to fucking talk shit to me, I say, fuck you. I come from the fucking bottom. And a matter of fact, because I looked white, I got beat up more by the Mexicanos and the blacks in the fucking ghetto. I got beat up more. I had to become stronger. So fuck you. These situations in which we're trying to erase and demonize. Let me tell you what, look at our Latin community now. They are thriving. Ask our second and third generation Mexican-Americans now. 
I'm first generation. My father's a Mexican citizen. My biological father, he was a Marine as well. And he was rich and he looked European. He was Spanish like myself. He left his domineering father, this land magnate and rancher. All my family's from Monterrey and Mexico City. They were the first um, 12 families that came over with Christopher Columbus. My real last name is Delayata, extremely Spanish, Delayata. Um, they are thriving here. My cousin uh, is the district attorney of Austin. Um, my sister is a doctor. My uh, uncle is a professor of both Latin and English literature and runs tours in Italy. We've been incredibly successful and we've embraced what opportunities we have here. And, and the slavery that we all come from, all of us, um, I, I, I forget, or, or I can't believe that people are so myopic. They don't remember when the British people, when the English people, the British people were freaking barbarians and the Romans enslaved them. There was something called the Celtic Holocaust where he killed hundreds of thousands and took millions as slaves, sex slaves and uh, uh, slaves uh, to run Rome and then uh, conscripted them, uh, the, the strong boys into the army. That the Middle East, I've been fighting in the Fertile Crescent. I've been to Babylon. I've been to Kandahar, the furthest north that Alexander the Great conquered. And these places are still the hotbed of sectarian violence in human warfare. And I've seen, I've seen men's heads cut off. This happened right now. And we somehow want to put this um, uh, fabricated sense of justice and entitlement to history when actually the conquering and savagery and the destruction is what God is here. And only in the UK, remember, we are your brothers. We're like, we're recent brothers from the UK, only a few hundred years ago. The outgrowth from the classical system and the classical thinking from the Greeks, the mathematics from um, the Persians and Arabs, the concept of pi, then the move into masonry and architecture, public works, electricity, printing press, then uh, industry. These, this is all built on blood. Yet, every step of the way, some of us kept choosing because somehow being uplifted from the baseline of rape, destruction, and eaten and to be eaten by predators or to be uh, destroyed by an oncoming freaking tribe. As we stepped away from that immediate savagery, we started pontificating and feeling a deeper connection to source and asking ourselves, what are we here for? And your ancestors, my ancestors, you know, all their genetics, they're in us. All these histories are in you and me. And you know, every single person on the planet can go back a few generations or, or 10 or one to atrocity. Every one of us, 
the Chinese, the, uh, our Asian com uh, communities in the Far East, all of us on this planet can go back one generation or five or 10 to atrocity, both we witnessing it and being victims to it or us doing it. So what is all this separation? What is all this, uh, the, these manufactured separations? We are here now and we are stronger together than we are split into pieces and factions. This is what needs to be discussed and educated. But that's the problem. We're stronger together than we are split in factions. And look what's happening from, you know, multiple administrations the last few years is yes. wedges rather than yes. glue. Yes. I'm wondering, I, I, and you know, instead of blaming people and or uh, getting rigid in my political views, I am always looking for the reason why, because there's reasons. It must be in this modern era of farming the dollar or the pound to cheap manufacturing to make cheap goods for our comfort and the immense amount of money uh, involved and trade involved with moving resources and oil to run the system. There must be so much money and there must be so much power at the top that our political systems have now become hijacked by lobbyists and um, special interests. However, every human being that has it easy, and we all have it easy, there ain't anybody in America. Brother, I watch these freaking homeless freaking bums on the street with smartphones. All right. I'm seeing obese homeless people. Get the fuck out of here. You think I'm going to have compassion? Fuck no. I've been in villages in, in, in Africa with 90% HIV. I've been in villages, working in villages with 30% polio. No, there's nobody here has anything to fucking bitch about. Not a fucking one. If they are not taking just a little bit of their time to invest into their local politicians or in their local community, they only have themselves to blame. So we have a great opportunity here to take charge of our lives and our community or to fold to partisanship and to rigid political, um, um, spiritual, rigid racial lines. It's up to you. You have the opportunity to be uh, more connected and to be more powerful in your life and in your community. Um, and, or you have the opportunity uh, to succumb to evil and eventually destroy all these incredible uh, works of art and incredible uh, abilities to have a comfortable life, to pursue uh, love, to pursue family, to pursue um, the things that our poets and painters and, and uh, sculptors um, have expressed for thousands of years. We have, we have the op opportunity to do that. It's up to us. I agree. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, I agree completely. And I actually made this comment a little while ago. There seems to be a focus that the human's evolution is through technology. And of course, there's, there's a part of that. And so we're all patting ourselves on the back because, you know, we can now, you know, 
as you said, post our narcissistic pictures on social media and be live, liked or loved by people around the world. What I think the true evolution of humanity is, is a slow movement towards what our spiritual philosophical view is of kindness and compassion. And for the first time ever, we have the technology to see behind the fucking curtain of bullshit that civilizations have been sold by the greedy, power-hungry few for millennia, and we can actually call them on it. And I think that's it's like a panic response at the moment, this division, because there's a realization if we can get the right people in power, you know, leadership positions, whether it's in the home, in the community, in the state, or in the country, and unify most, not all, it's impossible to unify all, but most people, then there will be a move away from, you know, some of that extreme consumerism and more towards yeah, well the community. Well said, well said, brother. You need it in, she's very, very busy, but I can make an introduction. I highly recommend you get Tulsi Gabbard on your. Please help uh, me with that introduction because we've, we've gone back and forth. Um, she's, she's definitely interested in coming on, but it's been a while now, but I see her getting pulled towards obviously, you know, Fox and some of the other. Um, I love that she's on ones. Fox and that she's still Democrat and she's Democrat. Yeah. She, I believe, I pray she and what she stands for will be the new face of the Democratic Party. I think she's amazing. And I, and I hope that, you know, if enough people kind of poke her, that she'll she'll come on here. Because I think, to yeah, me, she close. is beautiful. Well, please, please. I actually spoke to her sister a while ago, who's oh, in law wonderful. enforcement. But yeah, I think she is what we need. And again, it's not coming from a left or a right. My stance is purely, you know, it's walk softly, but carry a big stick. You know, and That's I, think, it. I think she believes that too. Absolutely, brother. You know... Um, those only when you control the fight and repel the enemy assault can you dictate the terms of peace. Do you want someone else to dictate the terms of peace for you? Or do you want to dictate the terms of peace? And please let us be mindful that dictating the terms of peace, peace being the operating word, is what we're all searching for. I believe true warriors are always in search of peace. That is why we harden ourselves for war. And this is what's special about Tulsa. You know, she's still serving in the army. Uh, she just went to a graduation with uh, some recon officers. And um, this beautiful dark green. That's what we call black Marines. We don't call them black. We call them dark green. It's because we all wear cami paint, right? <laughs> How beautiful is that? If we in the Marine Corps can be so socially evolved. Now look at this. No wonder we're so socially and, and spiritually evolved because we have to embrace the shadow. We have to do the killing. We have to do the, separate, the, the sacrifice of suffering. And we have to sometimes die for this. No wonder our love of brotherhood has expanded to, to the level it has. Well, look, look at Roger Sparks, one of the most profound human beings of our generation. Um, warrior healer. And so, I, so Tulsi was at this graduation and I got to FaceTime with them and, and seeing the young dark green officer recon man with his gold wings on his freaking chest. If that's not the success of our freaking society and country, I don't know what is. I mean, it's just absolutely prolific uh, that we are 
having a military service that is based on merit only uh, being a space in which, you know, Tulsi, I believe, is in, of Indian and Hawaiian background. She's Hindu. I'm Mexican-American and Spanish. We have every race, culture, creed, religion in the military. And if you want to work, you can be anything, anything. Amazing. If you're willing to sacrifice and study and bring those skills to bear, you can be anything. Tulsi is an incredible example and everybody around her, my community, uh, we continue to serve, you know, to serve. And there, the samurai said it best. There is no higher station uh, in, in humanity than service. And samurai means to serve. Um, and, and they do, uh, they are so um, spiritually committed to the uh, freedom created through one pointed attention of service that um, we're still talking about them to this day. So uh, yeah, absolutely amazing. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll reach out to Tulsi. I'll see what I can do. Beautiful. Well, thank you. I want to just hit on one more area. I want to be mindful sure. of your time because I know you're chomping at the bit for the workout today. Um, yeah. So, but just very quickly, I literally binge watched Generation Kill the last it's two days. It's really good, isn't it? My gosh, it, it holds up better now. It's better now than it was when it came out. It was incredible. And what was, what was kind of striking to me last night, I interviewed Will um, Jimeno, who was one of the two Port Authority officers who survived the World Trade Center collapse. Um, and I worked on that film I worked on the World Trade Center movie and so when he's describing it I'm literally flashing back on set to how close they had created how amazing the set was now I'm watching Generation Kill you're obviously in you're playing yourself in that particular show so again I'm wondering you know the 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 good and the bad of being back in as you said seemingly I'm assuming from the timeline that you told us today still dealing with a lot of fucking things. And now so you're true. on these recreations on this film, obviously portraying some of the incredible stories, including, you know, men that you'd lost. So true. What's so heavy is I had just been back from Fallujah and Ramadi. Um, because I'm such a high performer and the, um, my new framework after so much uh, discipline from recon and so much combat, I was living lifetimes in seconds. And for me, a day was a millennia. So when I got out of the forces and I was no longer fighting, if I did not have something to do, it felt like years were passing and it was just hours. And depression and listlessness and an emptiness. I'd never felt empty in my life. I felt empty now. Generation Kill was an opportunity to not feel empty. But, but, it was, but it was a tragedy because I look back at where I was at the time working and empowering our actors and making it so realistic. Um, I was deeply suffering inside. I was, I was laughing to keep from crying. I never gave myself an opportunity to grieve or to process anything from fighting. A matter of fact, shortly after Generation Kill, I went back to work doing counterterrorism. And so I was doing 
missions and in between missions that require violence and keeping myself at a pinnacle of, of aggressive condition mixed with some entertainment. And then, and then shortly after that, um, the alcohol, then the drugs. And I was so absolutely empty for about 10 years because I was filling up this emptiness with more missions and never acknowledging what, why I was empty in the first place. Why was I empty? Holy moly. I'd committed my whole life to giving everything I got to look for people to fight and kill. And I pushed away anything soft and anything compassionate in my life to do so because you can't do both. It'd break your heart. It'd break your heart. Um, so uh, I never considered it. You know, I have dreams about my men that have been killed and they, and I, and I see them in my dreams and I'm so happy to see them again. And I, and we're talking and we're, and we're hanging out and we're working out. And, and then as I start to wake up, I realize, oh my gosh, this is a dream. They're not here. And I'm trying to hold on to them, I'm trying to stay there. Um, James, I've never been to a single funeral because I was always fighting. And so in my mind, I've got pictures of some of my brothers here. In my mind, I've never let these men go. I've never even considered this. I, I did 10 years after fighting and, and being in one, sh putting myself in one combat zone or being in one shitty relationship after another. And in between just doing tons of fucking cocaine and drinking alcohol, oftentimes by myself, I didn't go to clubs and shit like that. And then street fighting. I had a dear brother, Michael Kim, um, Marine Corps and Army, uh, ultimately uh, civil affairs, now PhD um, in psychology, or no, PhD in theology from uh, Yale, American, uh, half Korean, half uh, uh, Anglo from Florida, and uh, American dream, extreme PTSD as well. He watched me and did not judge me and stayed by my side for three or four days. You know, I shut all the windows, keep it really, really dark. And I'm watching True Detective, the second series, which really, really is understated. A lot of people don't like it. I thought it was absolutely excellent because I related with the contractor, Taylor Kitsch's story. And I related with the sadness and the darkness of, um, Colin Farrell, who can't see his son anymore and is a heavy drug addict and drinking all the time. And I was very close to suicide. And I probably had a couple eight balls of blow and enough bottles of vodka to last me four days. And I just stayed awake, watched the show and talked to Mike and cried and fucking screamed. And, and, and he just stood by my side. And, uh, and then a few years later, after I got myself together, he was going through some immense stuff with his son and I was there for him. And, and this, uh, brotherhood that we have, um, we, it's a very real thing. It's a very, very real thing. And so I, I got into entertainment because I thought I could be useful again, or because it's very hard work. It's, as you know, you got to work on set. It's extremely hard work. And it takes every bit of your mind, body, and spirit to do right. But none of it's sustainable. It wasn't until 
I was in the mental institution. I was in a, a, a veterans village of San Diego, one of the lowest part. I mean, every chance, every time I thought my life was low, it got lower. Yet on the surface, everybody thought I was a superstar. Think about that freaking compare and contrast and how much that rips apart your fucking soul. And I'm this senior guy. So who do I call that's been there before me so I can get help? Nobody. Um, it wasn't until Force Blue where I put my warrior soul to use fighting for something that unequivocally everybody on the planet will deem as good. No one can ever argue with me rebuilding coral reefs and doing ocean conservation with the best men and uh, warriors and the best scientists who are science warriors. And then private business like Pepsi, like the NFL, bringing people together to fight for something that, um, that our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren uh, will have as, as something precious and something beautiful that when they look back in the history books after we're dead, they will say, these men took a stand and they changed something. And look what we have. Um, it wasn't until Force Blue that I uh, got myself together long enough to eventually be stable enough to meet Jade and have something to offer. And then to be clean and not, uh, and when I would have extreme PTSD, instead of just ho holding myself away and, and, and staying numb with lots of cocaine, um, and then after Jade had to be building a relationship, a family and having, and, and choosing to hide nowhere, then my, my, uh, professional career has exploded. I mean, now I'm with SAS who dares wins. I've got so many television shows at me right now that I'm having to say no. Uh, we just filmed for Fox. Now I'm going to be doing SAS America and SAS, uh, UK, um, Force Blue is now, uh, you know, nationwide. We've changed things in the VA. So now every veteran can access their vocational rehab money to get dive training and be paid for their dive training and then come to Force Blue and do on-the-job training to be a Force Blue science diver. Um, it took 10 years, brother, to even st to start that process. Then we, we talked to our World War II veterans, our Vietnam veterans, some of them have never started the process and, and, and they're living in pain. So a testament to every, anybody out there listening, we are making progress and it starts with you. It starts with me. We are making progress and uh, forever forward, brother, forever forward. Beautiful. I mean, it's, it's so empowering to hear. I think a couple of things, especially just to pull from that. Firstly, the workaholic element. It's another thing that people don't acknowledge, but in the fire service, we all know that man or that woman who it's bad enough that we get forced extra shifts, but we call the overtime whore. And more often than not, if they really took a step back, because you're thinking about it, you're deliberately signing up to not be with your family. That's a fucking huge red flag. And you can justify it with finances, but ultimately, you know, there's probably an overspending element and you could, you know, re reprogram that so that you don't yes. have to be at work all the time. Something is out of balance and not aligned, but we totally understand why we become workaholics. It's because if we don't possess the tools inside, 
especially when we're young, you, you know, you're 48, I'm 50 now. I feel like I'm just now starting to become balanced enough as a mature man. I know, look, my cats, I know. <laughs> I love my animals. My animals have given me so much joy. I have a little female cat. Her name's Pants. And then we've got the dog, but Pants, the little female cat. I've never loved an animal more in my life. This little cat understands me and, and sleeps in this arm and Jade sleeps in this arm. Uh, back to alignment. This is alignment. I have my work. I have my fitness. I've got my animals. I've got every night when I'm home, I've got my woman in this arm and my cats in this arm. I am now in talks again with my son's mother. I get videos of my son I'm in communication. I will see him soon. I just know I will. Um, uh, the alignment and the workaholic. You can't blame anybody that goes that way because they don't possess the tools and the skills yet, but it's up to us to empower them and share it and show it. Um, also to, uh, remember they used to say when, when after the towers were hit, because we were all on red alert for another attack. Um, if you see something, say something. So if you see something in one of your brothers and sisters, say something. Absolutely. Well, and the other thing pulling from what you said before as well, which I think is so, so important, and I've seen that even in myself, that service, you know, that, that kindness and compassion took us into the profession as we talked about. That transition is so fucking jarring for so many people. They lost that purpose. They lost that community and tribe. You know, they lost so much. But you didn't stop being Rudy. I didn't stop being James. We just happened to put a certain uniform on and do a certain set of skills at that time. So that service, I can see why Force Blue, you know, rebuilding the corals was was the healing element. Because once you realize that service can look a thousand different ways and you've just got to find that next level of service and what that looks like for you, that is then how you transition healthily from the military or first responders into the next chapter of your life. That's right, brother. You know what? There's a term in entertainment. They always say, fake it till you make it. I say, make it till you make it. Create it till you make it. Make till you make it as a verb. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Or make it as a destination. Make it tangibly before you make it as a destination. You don't have to fake anything. There's so much power in truth. Create it before you make it. Yeah. There we go. Love it. Yeah. Right. Well, <laughs> well, I just want to say thank you so much. We've gone two hours, you know, barely actually touched wow. your career itself. The but blue, the brother. philosophical places that we've been or that you've been mainly as, as I, I listen in awe uh, have been absolutely incredible. So I want to. Thank you, not only, you know, for coming on the show today, but just for your, your courage and vulnerability, because it's these conversations, it's these voices from our, literally, you know, some of our most dangerous men and women on the planet that are showing, look, this is, this is the human, this isn't the facade, this is the real human voice that we need to hear. So thank you for your courage and vulnerability today. Thank you so much, James. It's my pleasure, but I hope our audience is moved, inspired to take more action in their lives and, um, and be a force of change and good in our community and in our world. You know, It's going to be awesome, brother. Well, we're going to stay in touch, all right? 